Last week, we started our journey into the book of Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote to the people of Galatia. There's the churches in Galatia, those that he had brought the gospel to himself on his own missionary journey. And, and we realized that in that moment that Paul was sharing with those people the truth of the gospel, that his entire letter to them is about what is the gospel and what is the gospel teaching them. Specifically, how is it teaching them to live? And that, in that same way, we can ask ourselves the same question, how is the gospel teaching us to live? And so as we go through this book together over the next 12 weeks, let us continually ask ourselves that question. What is it that the book of Galatians, that in revealing the gospel to us, what is it teaching us about how to live? And last week, specifically, we were learning that there is no other gospel. That Paul makes it clear that there is but one gospel for us to live by. There is but one truth for us to cling to. The gospel given through Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, of how he lived and how he died and how he was raised to life again, all for our sake. That is the gospel by which we have been called to live every day. And we left ourselves with some questions about, so what does that mean for us and how does it affect the way in which we live? What does it mean to know that there is no other gospel? That we would come to the realization that there is these things in our lives that we can call ourselves to, that we can question, that we can fight for that we have to have knowledge of the gospel in order to live the gospel. That we need to evaluate the areas in our life where maybe we've not believed the gospel fully for ourselves. And so how can we believe that gospel to its fullness? And so I think that's kind of where Paul is going today in today's passage as we look at Galatians chapter 1 verses 10 through 24. Paul continues in this journey of what is gospel. What does it mean to have the gospel lived in our life? And so today in our passage, Paul says this. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of the former life in Judaism, how I persecute, persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and 
who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Saphos and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not tell a lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it and said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, for you are good and you are gracious. But also you are zealous for your own glory to be revealed. To be revealed in your people through those that you have called sons and daughters of God. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to you this morning, Lord, that you would be worshipped and glorified. God, that we would hear the truth of the gospel of grace as it has been revealed in this passage. And Lord, that even in me, the gospel of grace would be revealed. And that you would be glorified even when I lack the right words to say, your words would come forth. And so God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have to be honest that I struggled with this passage. I still struggle with this passage. I struggle with what it is saying, what it is telling me. I struggle because as I read it, I am convicted and convinced that it is true. But I also struggle because I know that as somebody that stands up Sunday after Sunday to stand before you and to deliver a message, oftentimes what I am seeking when I stand up here is approval. I so desperately long to be approved by you that I still know that I'm doing a good job, that you didn't make a mistake in saying yes seven months in, and yet I still wonder Am I good enough? Do they like me? Do they love me? Actually, somebody said this morning, adore me. Am I adored? Do you still long to have me stand before you and preach a gospel message? Some of you shaking your heads, yes, 
But is that good? Is that okay? Is it all right for me to desire that I get those head shakes of approval that you still want me here? You see, I struggle with this passage because the reality is that I do at times greatly desire human approval. The approval of each and every one of you to say, you are doing a great job. You're doing a good job. And I know, I think that the reality is for all of us, we've come to that place at some point in our lives where we seek the approval of our peers, of our neighbors, of our friends, of our co-workers. We want them to like us. We want them to love us. We want them to approve of who we are, of what it is that we're doing, that we are making good contribution. We long for their approval. We long for man's approval in so much of who we are and what it is that we do in our daily lives. It can come down to the smallest thing like when I make coffee, is the person that is receiving my cup of coffee, do they like that I made them good coffee? All the way up to the weighty and heavy burden of being able to stand before you and Preach the gospel of God. Am I bringing to you the true gospel, the only gospel, no other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ with no other fluff stuffed in because I wanted something that I said to be remembered well? Or am I simply bringing to you the true and pure gospel? And in your life, Are you allowing the true gospel to influence you to the place that the approval of man means little? That you aren't self-seeking and self-serving and trying to get to a place where everybody adores and loves you. But simply that you have allowed the gospel of grace to transform you into servants of Christ. And so, yes, as I read this passage this morning, I am convicted and yet I am convinced that it is true. Because I can look at my own heart and know that I still struggle with this reality. And I would venture to say that you still struggle too. And so as we open this passage, we first see exactly what it is that the gospel of grace does within us. How it is supposed to transform us and change us in the way that it changed and transformed Paul. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, I started with the story that this is what I honestly know to be a sin in my own heart. And here, Paul confronts us first and foremost with what the gospel of grace actually transforms us toward. To be somebody that is not seeking the approval of man. You see, Paul is asking the question... 
Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Not because he knows that he's seeking the approval of man, but because he knows that he is seeking the approval of God. That everything that is going on in Paul's life, all that he is doing in his ministry, is not for people to love him, to accept him, to respect him. He's not seeking man's approval in anything that he is doing. In all of his ministry, that is not his end goal. And that actually might be a little bit confusing because there are areas in Scripture where we see that Paul says that he will do whatever it takes to be liked by men. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23, he actually says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. And to those not having the law I become like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, and to the weak I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. At first it sounds like Paul will literally do anything to be liked by anyone. He will become exactly what they want him to become. Paul is quite literally, the greatest chameleon. He will shape-shift to any form in any situation so that those that he is with will hear him and like what it is that he has to say. But I think that the key in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and the truth of what we see in Galatians 1.10 is that Paul will do these things, but he's not doing them for the approval of man. He's doing them that the gospel would be received. He's doing it to one end and one purpose, that anyone who he encounters, though he may become what they want him to become, he is not doing it for his own benefit, but he is doing it for the benefit of Christ. That he would receive another into his glorious kingdom. I love how Paul says it actually in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I do this all for the sake of the gospel. And I love this, that I may share in its blessings. He is so captured by what the gospel has done in him that it has transformed him to a place where seeking approval of man means nothing if he gets to share in that gospel blessing with his brothers and sisters, with those would-be brothers and sisters, with those that he wants to come into the glory of God just as he has come in to the glory of God. But I want us to be careful with this passage as well. I don't want us to read this and read that he's not seeking the approval of man, but that he is seeking the approval of God. We have to be careful because if we start saying that we are seeking the approval of God, then we've made it a works righteousness gospel. We've started saying, I have to do something in order for God to approve of me. But that's actually quite contradictory to what it is that we see in the fullness of this passage. When Paul says that he's seeking the approval 
not of man, but is it the approval of God? What he's simply saying is, I want to be the best servant of Christ because of what Christ did for me. It is not that I can gain his approval any more than he has already approved of me, but simply that because he's already approved of me, that I would do his will. And so as we continue in this passage in Galatians chapter 1, we actually see the fullness of how this has played out in Paul's life. We see in verses 11 through 14 what the gospel of grace will reveal in Paul and ultimately what it reveals in us. Paul says this, For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is what we were talking about last week when we said that Paul had received his message not by man or through man, but he simply received it from Jesus Christ. It was a revelation unto its own, to him. He was not taught it by any other person, but through Jesus himself. And then he says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. If Paul truly was seeking the approval of man, he would have stayed in his former life. He would have stayed a Pharisee. He would have continued persecuting the church of God, as he said, violently, with the end goal of destroying the church. If he was truly desirous of the approval of man, he would have stayed right there. How do we know this? Because he says in his own words that he was beyond many of his own age among his people. That is to say that That's like having a 20-year-old CEO or a 32-year-old pastor of a church. That is something beyond what is fathomable or capable. He was advancing so quickly among the ranks. People approved of what he was doing. The leaders of the time approved of Paul's zealousness to squash the church of Jesus. But it wasn't the approval of man that he was seeking because here is what is true, that Jesus, which he received through a revelation, this new gospel, revealed to him that his former life was against God. That all that he was doing was against what God was trying to do in the world. The gospel of grace reveals the sin in our lives. It's clear, I've used it many times already, but Romans 3.23 clearly says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one of us who is without sin. In fact, he actually quotes earlier in chapter 3 from Ecclesiastes 7.20. Paul says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 
There's not one. Not one among us who has never sinned and who isn't sinning. We have all fallen short of the glory of God in that regard. And when you have the gospel of grace revealed to you, you are confronted and convicted by the fact that you are, in fact, a sinner. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, it is very good because in the revelation of our own sinfulness, we realize how glorious and holy God is. God is restored to himself the right glory that he should receive. And so when Paul is confronted with this truth, when Jesus reveals to him the gospel of grace, Paul is first confronted by how he has wronged God, how he has been against Jesus, how he's been violent, how he's been trying to destroy what God was trying to do, how he had been seeking more the approval of man than seeking out the truth and justice of God. But that revelation of his sinfulness, that gospel of grace, it doesn't leave us there. It doesn't stop by keeping us in our sinfulness. It doesn't keep us there and say, you are a sinner, there is no hope. The truth is that it goes on. And in verse 15 and 16, Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and he who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. You see, this is the beauty of the Reformed tradition. There's absolutely nothing that we could have done to earn our favor with God. But when he who had set me apart, who had known me before I was even born, knew what he had for me in my life. Every sin that Paul had committed before, every sin that he committed then, and every sin that he would have committed going forward, God had already set him apart before all time began. Chose him to be Paul the Apostle. Even though Paul considered himself the least among all the apostles, it made him nonetheless an apostle of God. For he was chosen. He was set apart before he was born. And he was called in grace. By God's grace was he called. Called into this ministry. Called to go forth. Called to salvation. Called to know Jesus. Called out of his sinfulness. And I love this in 16. And God was pleased. It pleased God to reveal Jesus to Paul. It pleased God to reveal his gospel of grace to Paul. It pleased God to call Paul out of his sinfulness and into grace. It pleased God that Paul would know what it actually means to live for Christ. It pleased him. 
And in the same way that it, pleased, that it pleased God to call Paul, it pleased God to call us. That in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, in our darkness, God reached down and he set us apart before we were born. And he called each and every one of us by his grace. And he was pleased to reveal his son to us. So that we would know him. I love how he says it in Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. You and me, we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is the enemy, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. But God. It resonates with that same, but when he... But when God set me apart before I was born, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the truth and reality that Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians and to us is that grace is the key to the gospel. This gospel that he told the Galatians about in the first few verses, when he introduced the letter to them, that grace of Jesus and the work that he accomplished through the will of God for them, and how they had so quickly turned from it. He was astonished that they could turn away from this gospel of grace. This free gift of God. And then he tries to reaffirm it in them. Look, here's how we know that this gospel of grace works. Let me share my testimony with you. I was the sinner of sinners. I put to death Christians. I stood as Stephen was stoned. I looked upon Stephen then I approved of his death. I persecuted the church. I was on my way on the road to Damascus to kill more Christians and to bring them into prison. And it was on that road, in, my, in the hatred in my heart for who they were, that Christ met me. And God was pleased to reveal his son to me, Jesus Christ, to share with me the gospel of grace. Because he had a plan for my life. And it pleased him to share it with me. Even as I was about to do more sin. 
And so what does this gospel of grace do through us? He finishes in the last few verses of our passage today. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Saphos and remained with him 15 days. But I saw no one other than the apostles except James, the brother of Jesus. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and to Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me you see what the gospel of grace does through us is that it reveals the glory of God within us and specifically within us to others here's the thing here's how we can Hear this gospel of grace and what it means for our lives. How it teaches us to live. The first thing that I think that it truly teaches us is it makes us ask the question, are we striving for approval? Are we striving for approval from God? Are we striving for approval from man? Where is it that we are striving and are we striving for that approval? If it is from man, run away from it. Turn away from seeking the approval of men because it will never lead to revealing the glory of God. The second, though, is are you striving for the approval of God? Because you need to do nothing in order to receive his approval. He knew you before you were born. He knit you in your mother's womb. He already had a plan for your life before you knew of your own existence. He already did approve of you. There is no need to seek it. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I seeking approval? I have to ask myself, do I stand before you seeking your approval? And then do I stand before you seeking God's approval? Not in the sense that I want to do well by him. But in a sense, though, am I doing enough to receive his grace? Well, then it wouldn't be grace. The second thing that I think that the way this teaches us to live is, is are you quashing your own testimony? Are you quashing your own testimony? When is the last time you shared with somebody how it was you were once a sinner and yet God saved you by grace? Are you allowing sin in your life to be minimized because you don't want to seem worse than what you, how you really are? <laughs> I mean, quite simply. It is actually the sin in our life and how God chose us and changed us and transformed us that reveals God's glory. The glory of grace is about taking who you were and revealing who God is. So don't quash your testimony before others. 
Don't downplay your sinfulness. Your sinfulness is actually what is what makes God so compelling. What makes grace so true. And the last thing that I think is kind of revealed in those last few passages about how we live out this gospel of grace is, do you have the rhythms of grace in your life? Paul, upon hearing the gospel from Jesus, went away for three years into solitude to get with the Lord, to know what it is truly that this grace that he has received. Now, I'm not saying disappear for three years. Please don't do that. But what I'm saying is, are we practicing solitude in our own lives? Are we having our own personal time in the word? Are we praying to the Lord? Are we spending time in our relationship with Christ one-on-one? And then, in turn, are we bringing it into our congregational life? Are we bringing what we've done with Christ alone into what we do with Christ with others? You see, Paul practiced both. He needed both solitude with God, but he also needed to be with others in order to confirm and affirm what it is that God had done in him and through him through grace. Are we practicing solitude in our life And then are we also practicing our communal Christianity together? You see, solitude allows you to experience the gospel of grace in relationship to Christ. And the congregational life allows you to experience the gospel of grace in relationship to one another. Both are required and neither can be ignored. You see, the truth and the reality is that when we live out this gospel of grace, when we live it out in our lives and we live it out with one another, we can see this church transformed in ways that we've never seen before. We can see how the Lord will move and work within us to glorify his holy name, that he would be worshiped and glorified. When we stop trying to seek the approval of one another, because who cares? then we can see how much more care we can have for one another, how much love we have for one another, how much more God can use grace to change and transform us for Griffin. And so, how are you going to allow the gospel of grace to change and transform you today? How are you going to see it move and work within your life? Let's pray. Good and gracious God, We know that you are moving and working in ways that we cannot always know, understand, or explain. God, we know that you are sovereign. God, that you knew before time began who it is that you would choose to be in right relationship with you, Lord. That the gospel of grace is one where we do not have to seek approval or acceptance for you've already approved and accepted of us. For, Lord, that is good news. And that in knowing the gospel of grace in our lives, we can share that gospel of grace with others. Not just share it, but reveal it. Because of who we once were, you have now transformed into who we are. We love you, Lord. Amen.